We'll get cancelled just like the Golden Globes. Welcome to Groovy Movies. My name is Lily Austin. And my name's James Brailsford. Hello and welcome back. Yay! Series <laughs> four. Series four. <laughs> my four God. More series. Four <laughs> more <laughs> series. That's a little joke for our American listeners. Uh, is it? Is it? Oh, God. Right. That's what they chant when someone becomes president. Four more uh, years, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, no, now I get it. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I was a bit slow on the uptake. That's okay. There. It was it's... a very, very niche reference. <laughs> well, I hope it, it landed with our intended audience. <laughs> I might have got that taken wrong. Anyway, here we are. Back again. Back again. Hooray. And yeah, it's been nice to have a little break. But, uh, you know, I have been missing our uh, weekly meetups, Lily. Yeah, I, I've, I've said to you off there, I, I feel com- comfortable saying this to our listeners too, that I think we need to reconfigure our break schedule because there were so many good films that came out over the last few months <laughs> and I'm really sad that we've missed them and now we're going to have to do this kind of flying overview in this award well, season special. You know, it's a little, a, little, a little tapas selection, you know. Some years we happen to get bogged down in the weeds of it this time we're more floating over the surface in a nice IMAX, a nice gliding IMAX flying wide shot. That's what we're doing <laughs> over the over the award season. So yes, we're coming back with an award season special. So what does that mean? That basically means <laughs> us critiquing everything that's happened. And luckily there's not been that much. I feel like we can do that quite efficiently before we move into the main event, our own awards. There, which is which is what we're all here for, quite frankly. It's the return of the Groovies. <laughs> I love that we're, we're trying to create a, a I, hype and mythology around the Groovies when, frankly, I'm not sure it's deserved yet. But if we don't hype it, no one else is, right? This is how a hype starts. Somebody's got to hype it. That's us. Exactly. Then, then at some mythological point in the future, it snowballs out of our control, completely organically and not all manufactured by us, into its own thing. You know, that, that's the plan anyway. That's the, that's the there plan. There is a plan. We're taking everyone organic. behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a necessary evil of self-promotion, and, and that's, what, that's what we're doing this episode, guys. I've not been too engaged with this year's uh, kind of award season, so it doesn't feel like there's much happening, but maybe that's because I've not been paying as much attention. I don't know. What do you think? No, I, I, I agree with you. I really think this year has been, for the most part, pretty uncontroversial, un- yeah. uneventful, and I feel like that there is like two sides to that. On the one hand, part of it is the fact that looking at the films that have been nominated over the last few months, they're all good films. Yeah. It's not been, <laughs> that's all fair and correct. And, yeah, but yeah. it's also, they're also all films that are, have gone through the rings, the necessary hoops to get nominated. They've all got, most of them have big stars or like a good big director. It's just like, Exactly what you'd expect. There's nothing that unusual. So it's a little bit boring. This this seems like the Oscars where it's business as usual. This is like, you know, kind of what, what we might have historically expected the Oscars to do. I mean, remember, it is a celebration that's very Hollywood-centric. So it, it, it can only stray a certain part away from that. And we know we still have some. I think we've got uh, past lives in the best film category which you know this this is something that's no longer in the best uh, is it what it called best foreign film or best international feature yeah. you know so it, 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 
the formula has evolved slightly, but we can't expect, you know, th- this is very much within the what I expect uh, an Oscars nomination pa- selection to look like. I'm very happy. Should we just talk <laughs> should we just talk about who what has been nominated in the best picture category? Um, yeah. Yeah, I like like all these movies of the ones I've yeah. seen. I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen The Holdovers or Maestro yet, but hear good things. Same, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Anatomy of a Fool, amazing. American fiction, brilliant. Barbie, I've got my mixed feelings about it, but it's an important <laughs> movie. We'll come back to that and the controversy. Oppenheimer is obviously cleaning up like crazy. I yeah, could, yeah, I could go on. But yeah, Past Lives. Past Lives in the Zone of Interest. Have you seen the Zone of Interest yet, James? I still still need to be out of my slightly low mood. I, I was getting there. I was getting there. And I thought, oh, I could go and see it. But it was Wednesday night and I'd just spent all day lecturing my students. I was like, you know what? I, I'm just enjoying my day and I'm a bit tired. I'm not. I just haven't found that perfect sweet spot where it's like, it's time, James. It's finally time to experience zone of interest. I feel like you're really like, you're you're building this up in your mind. Lily, like, I've <laughs> Lily, I've been to see Salo. I'm not taking it, any exactly. risks. Exactly, it's not. It's not that. It's like nothing in, in that world. Like, uh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You, you, okay, you compare this to Salo. That says it all. Like, of course, you know, but, this is a heavy subject. But the the power of this film is in the fact that it is not a derogatory horror fest. It's the mundanity that is effective. All I'm trying to say on the scale, I, I agree. I see where you come from totally. But on the scale of Salo to I don't know Barbie up, right oh up right, good, right, yeah. I'm trying to think of, yeah, oh like, god the... you know. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> okay, I love Where? this scale from now on I think we should always position things in the scale the, the, the scale <laughs> the scale of Salo to up I mean and, and I would like to think that you could at least we could at least both agree that it probably tips slightly towards the more Salo end of the scale than it would the up it's you know <laughs> yeah, just, of course, just like of course can, of can course. we lead like, but you know of it may course. not be right down there but I'm ju- and I'm just saying I need to be slightly just ever so slightly have a foot in the up end of this uh, this spectrum yeah and and in fairness you Would won't get foot you be, won't get that zone of interest yeah I've of just course. got my little my little tippy toe out and I just want to dip it in dip it in the pool of the up end of the spectrum would that happen at the zone of interest no it would not I can't I can't lie to you. Uh, all of us strangers is probably a good a good call in that case because it it is it's a very moving emotional film, but there's so much that's beautiful and within the sadness uplifting about it. So that is bit, one bit. where you're you're <laughs> you're probably at the halfway point, tipping okay. towards up. Whereas Zone of Interest is very much between all of us strangers and Salo, I'd say on the scale. Well, I, that that I appreciate that, Lily. That that sounds like the perfect film for what I can handle right now. I feel halfway point is where I'm at. This is tangential, and we will get back to the movies that have been nominated, nominated. Um, yeah, awards season, awards fight. Baftas, Baftas came out last week. <laughs> they came mm. out. It was the, the Baftas. The last Baftas weekend. happened. Did you have okay. Do you have any thoughts on on that? 
I, I, I yeah, like I say, I've just been again gliding over the top of all this stuff. Really, I didn't really feel pulled in. I didn't watch any of it. Uh, you know, and and they always say that the the BAFTAs is a, is like the almost the perfect indication of what's going to clean up at the Oscars. And you know, there were no surprises at the BAFTAs. It was all kind of Oppenheimer did very well. I didn't really pay close attention, but it, it just again seems like business as usual. The ine- the inevitable awards machine is chugging along, and I'm you know it'd be great if something did suddenly come from a curveball and disrupts it but it just seems very inevitable what's happening and they're all great films it's not like i'm um this is an outrage that oppenheimer's cleaning up but uh but you know it's like this is t- uh, this is a standard hollywood gonna win lots of statues kind of film are you happy about oppenheimer doing so well um yeah because the thing is, doing so well, it does mean that it makes it less interesting, right? So there's always that. I, I I never like landslides, either politically or at award season. I just think it's it's not the greatest. So I guess, you know, but it would be churlish of me to say, no, take away all the awards it's getting. Take them back. It's not fair. The hot take from this award season special is that, yeah, fair, fine. I think that is the vibe I'm getting from this year. From every, like, almost objective, if you can be objective about art, metric about what Hollywood likes to give golden statues to Oppenheimer is like it's it's there for a lot of the golden statues you know it's craft skills are kind of at the top of its game as far as how it's made but I don't think okay sure but in terms of those big like best picture director I don't traditionally the Oscars haven't really done gone for that it's all political right and all and and usually it's the most like bland middle of the road movie so the, the the thing that's different about this year, right, is that compared to the last few years anyway, is that the two films that had the most hype around them going into the awards season weren't films that were released at the end of the year, but they were Barbie and Oppenheimer that had these huge, huge, the biggest box office weekends of the year quite a few months ago. And that kind of buzz has carried on through right until the end of the year and into the awards season, which is an unusual thing. And that should be something interesting to talk about. But because they were both good films, it was a nice thing that both of them did well. They were as good as anticipated. And they also were so important for, for helping out cinemas and, and the film industry kind of off the back of all of these strikes. It's just a bit like... Yeah, well, that's nice. <laughs> we, it's like, I love that with essentially their only problem is they were pretty good and they kind yeah. of deserved the hype. You yeah. know? So, so it, which again is is very Hollywood. Like Hollywood likes to reward success. They both made money. They've both been, you know, you can argue, but they, they, they're both critically acclaimed. So this is like, these are, this is Hollywood. This is, remember, the Oscars is a Hollywood centric. Oh, wait, but what about the huge controversy that did come out when the nominations? first for release to the Oscars was the fact that Barbie has been overlooked in those bigger in the director category and, and some of the other categories. So it's not it's it's not like Oppenheimer has been awarded across the board. The upset has been that Barbie hasn't been given the same grace. That's a perfectly valid argument. It's still doing quite well in a lot of the other uh, what, I mean, I to be honest with you, Lily, what excites me when I look at the Oscars, quite frankly, I don't care about the best picture because, as we've discussed, best picture doesn't mean the best film. It just means the one that's got the buzz, the hype, the one that's the most worthy according to the Academy voters. So, And the I'm one that more... has the most money behind it in their uh, Oscar nomination uh, campaign. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry, there's a, but just personally from me as a filmmaker, I prefer 
costume direction, best editing, best sound design. I'm interested in the technical categories, and I have to say Barbie is very well represented there. So I do understand from the best picture one is the one that gets all the fuss, and you're right, it, it will add, add more money to the box office, but Barbie doesn't need more money at the box office. It's more about the recognition of well, being well, on that in, list. In, well, in fairness, actually, I was thinking more about the direct category because Barbie was nominated for best picture. Oh, is it? It, Sorry, it has for been nominated, yeah. It's just... It's just, I think, okay, so specifically the controversy with Barbie, as probably everyone knows, is the fact that Greta Gerwig has been overlooked in the directing category, not just at the Oscars, at BAFTAs too. And what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it, it sucks. You know, there's no glib answer. I will say, though, there's an element of, <laughs> you know, Martin Scorsese, where was he in his career when he finally got the Best Director Oscar? Because there is a bit of a feeling like with, for example, with Scorsese, that you have to quote unquote pay your dues as a director, that you have to have done like 20 years grafting away and then finally, I mean, like, remember, um, Nolan's He's never won an Oscar for his directing. He's like, you know, 20 years into his career. But the, the Daniels winning last year is proof that that isn't necessarily the case. So I don't have a strong argument to say... No, no, I, you, I think that's a very valid point. Yeah. To so that, cut that, you off to support you. I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's, a really, that's a really good point, is that, <laughs> yeah, usually it's from the small pool at the top of Hollywood where who are ever considered for awards, the most, the popular people... There does tend to be this thing of what you finally get recognized for isn't actually objectively your best work. It's just like, okay, now you it's your turn. Right. Exactly. If you were to give Martin Scorsese an Oscar for any one of his films, would you give it him for The Departed and none of the others? I think that's the only film of his I haven't seen, so that probably tells you what you need to know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't. It would be, it would be like not even in the middle of the list, you know. So, so exactly, yeah. it was it, the Oscar for him being best director of Departed was much more like, well, come on, we got to give him one for some film, and this one's all right. So I'm in two minds about this whole thing because, mm. on the one hand, it is absurd that for everyone to get upset that a movie about Barbie that has done so incredibly well this year. Greta Gerber can now do, I'm sure, whatever she wants. Margot Robbie's production company is at the height of its powers. And, you know, it in every real sense, they have one. <laughs> and so the idea that it's a, it's not fair that they, on top of all of that, don't get certain awards and don't get recognized in certain ways. Well, there are other movies that will never get that kind of recognition, even though they are probably object. I mean, none of it's objective. That's the thing. It's all so ridiculous. But, but, more but, but, but there are other movies that will just be completely overlooked. That people really should see and could use that kind of like spotlight. So it yeah. does seem absurd to get upset about it. But yeah, I can't help but then on the flip side of it, also think about the optics of this, which is like, why is a woman director. Yeah, the Daniels, like you said, last year got recognized. So there are, um, got the award. And I'm not even, ex I wouldn't even expect Greta Gerwig to actually win the Oscar, but just like get a nomination, a recognition of what this director did, which I do think, even though I have mixed feelings about Barbie as a film and, and the messaging of it and stuff in certain ways, I do think that's an incredible feat that this director did. Her vision oh. is in incre incredible. So she, she does deserve to get that kind of recognition. And it's just... It's a bit shit that it is a woman director for what is quote unquote like you know a, a woman's a girl's movie that is being is the yeah, one being the, overlooked. I mean, I agree with you as far as like 
work as a director, it's an incredibly well-directed film. There's action sequences in there. There's great use of sets, musical numbers that are incredibly well-pulled off. You know, there's... It's a well-directed film, and it's certainly worthy of being on the nominations list, absolutely. Now, with the Daniels, as we were talking, I was just trying to think, Is there? can we give the Daniels special... Do they get any special kind of... A, and I just thought, oh, you know what? Everything Everywhere at Once was a great film, but it didn't make Barbie figures at the box office. It made, like, what did it make? 90 million total worldwide, whereas Barbie is a creative success, and it cleaned up, so maybe there was an element of giving the Daniels... Uh, kind of like getting them up the ladder a bit fast because they didn't have the resources of Barbie. They had a 25 million budget. Maybe there's an element, maybe that's factored in. I don't know. I would love to think that, but I don't... That given that the whole of the awards season is powered by companies plowing millions into these campaigns, maybe not mm. millions, I don't know what the numbers are, but a lot of money into these campaigns, I don't think... I really don't think the judges care <laughs> at that point that much like it for them it's just about what who well, you, who can get them who they well, can you, feel most warmly about who who has wined and dined them and made sure that they've watched their movie there is that that definitely happens i mean that was obviously miramax's policy for getting oscars with whining and dining the people in the old folks homes uh in hollywood but um you gotta remember that the directing category of the oscars is not is only voted for by other directors in the academy it's not oh. a general this, Oh, yeah, yeah. Every one of these that. categories, ah, this, okay, maybe worth spelling out for our listener. I just assumed everyone knew this, is that the way it works in the Oscars is you cannot vote for a category that you, do, you don't work in. So only directors vote in the directing category. Only other actors vote in the best actors category. Do you see? Wow. So, so, so this is peer, but Hollywood peer. You have to be in the academy. It's not like a, a bunch of judges. It's not the entire pool of people. If you're an actor, you ain't voting shit on the directors. So the, the directors will be aware of the circumstances under which each film was made when they are choosing. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how the nominations process goes. I don't know how you get on the shortlist. But again, I suspect it's a peer review element is, is, is involved. I'm guessing no, but I don't know. I will look you into know. that for next year, guys. So <laughs> there we go. So, so I, I don't know. That's if that really is. interesting. Okay, fine. Fair point. Then fair point. Could yeah, be. So. Could be. Gosh, you're a font of information. <laughs> See, guys, no, it's, 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 this awards season it, special was worth coming to, <laughs> even right? if our hot take is nah. <laughs> <laughs> on the balance. It's just eh, you know, is this is this how it rolls? Can I just whine about what I consider to be a genuine <laughs> snap, not Barbie? Please, please, windily. I don't, I don't have you down as a whiner, so I'm fascinated how this will manifest. Oh, that's such a nice thing of you to say. Thank you. Well, here's my wine. May, December. Oh, yeah? Completely overlooked. Well, we're, hang, we're, we're, hang on. Not completely overlooked. Okay, fine. Go on. Where has it, where has it not been overlooked? I'm pretty sure I saw it. Wait, he says, scrolling through. I definitely saw it earlier. I was like, oh, May, December. Is it best original screenplay? Oh, uh, fine. I mean, okay, don't, look, don't, look. Don't, don't, he's got no, he's got an Oscar nomination for a category that's quite important because there's course. hardly any there's hardly any original screenplays written anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Sorry, I don't mean to be dismissive, even though I obviously was. <laughs> Take that back. Take that whining back, Lily. That's, We're not having it on this podcast. That's nice, but Todd Haynes is 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 always overlooked, and I have yeah, to oh, yeah. wonder why. Feels. Well, I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions, but the optics for that don't look good either. I just think May, December, it, like it was doing something interesting. 
yeah. really, really interesting story and really interestingly made. And I just, I just think it's, I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair that both, both the leads got overlooked. Todd Haynes got overlooked. And I'm, and that for me is the real snub of the season. This is why I want this chat. I, you know, I, I had no idea that you felt quite this way about May December, and it's good to chat it through. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's I mean, I'm I, a I'm a know. Todd Haynes girly. What can I say? Yeah, and, and and I think Todd Haynes is a good director, but I just think he's not. I think because ultimately he's not whatever Hollywood is. He's not Hollywood enough, and that's Hollywood's problem, not a Todd Haynes problem. Yeah, well, exactly. I just wonder if it's if that's the if that's really what's going on. The subtext of that. But anyway, okay, so. What do we think? See, it's so. I was like, let's quickly say what what our predictions are for the Oscars, and it's like Oppenheimer, I... Oppenheimer for everything. Oppenheimer and poor things, of course, for costume yeah. and for Emma Stone, which is deserved. She's amazing in it. Have you seen Poor Things? I have seen Poor Things, although I have to confess, I did my. I, I struggled because I, I I feel like I have an attention span problem. So I think it, it drags a little bit. Right, I've, everyone's and raving gone... about it. And I'd gone for my pick and mix halfway through and I stuffed the pick and mix to try and keep me going. And then I was on one of those recliners and I just felt a little bit sleepy. So the second half of it is a bit hazy. I couldn't be too specific about the end of it. But if you're saying it also dragged a bit, then no wonder. There is a bit. I think that second act, once they're on the boat and stuff, things do start to drag a little bit. Yeah, that's when I hit my post pick and mix slump. There's so many interesting things that are being explored in that movie, but I found it quite oppressive to watch because there's this like creeping danger underneath. And I almost felt a bit cheated that never really comes to anything, but you have to battle with that. But that's a very much Jurgis Lanthimos, you know, that's his signature. Thing, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'd love him to do a rom-com, just cheer up a bit, you know, that's that's what I say. I mean, he's. <laughs> I think probably the lobster is as close as we're going to get to a rom com <laughs> yeah, for him. Yeah, that's right. That's it. If if killing of a sacred deer is a bit too heavy, why not try the lobster? Yeah, yeah. I honestly, for me, that's the that, that is probably the sweet spot. Poor things yeah. is a bit like oof. It's <laughs> a bit much. And also, because it's also studio bound, like you say, that oppressive feeling, I think part of it is because they're just in a studio all the time. You just want it to go to a nice open space. Apart from when they walk in the park by the lake a few times. And that, and it's so jarring that they do that because <laughs> of the rest of the time you're in this this studio space. I mean, that was part of the deliberate thing, right? That was his choice. Yeah. So like the stylized thing. She goes traveling, yeah. she sees the world and it's like a child in a watching a in a play or something. Like it's fantastical because her mm. eyes are being open or something. <laughs> <laughs> or something. That's the thing. It's funny when you you're like, oof, I don't like this. But you're like, the director is doing it deliberately, therefore it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. So this whereas, is deliberate. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in real life, if someone does something that you don't like, the fact that they do it intentionally makes you just like what I, I I think my brain was thinking something like that. What is your Yorgos's vibe? Who is like, you know what I want to put on tonight on the telly? I want to put on a Yorgos Lanthimos film because it, it feels almost like, you know, I'm appreciating his film, can't knock what he's doing because it is a unique voice in cinema. But yeah, you have to kind of, I don't know, you have to turn up for one. You have to, it's almost a little bit like doing homework, just a little. Yeah, for me, I don't know if it's exactly the feeling of doing homework. It's more just, yeah, that the fact that there is this oppressive darkness 
that creeps through his work. Yeah. And the homework element of Poor Things is the thing I was most interested in. This idea of exploring all the norms of, of, our, of our world, like monogamy and rules about sexual, sexual politics, all that stuff, and what it would mean if those things weren't embedded in you from your birth kind of thing. And it's all yep. new and how you would be. And, and even like stuff around sex work, you know, I, I, I was like so on board with his line of argument and exploration but <laughs> but the but what I found it so hard to watch even though I think it's absolutely accurate is the depiction of men in this film you know <laughs> every man is, man is a predator who is taking advantage of women from Godwin her creator to like all the other men she encounters they're all trying to take things from her and fair play to Jurgis that that feels completely accurate and it's true it's just like that is quite actually for me hard to watch it's like painful to have a, a film in a way make light of and comedically explore the worst versions of patriarchy you know it's hard it's hard I, d I don't I don't it's not joyful for me you're not going to get an easy ride at one of his films yeah but I found it quite in the cinema I was sat next to a couple on my left who were watching it like it was like a like a Marvel movie. They're like, oh, oh my God. Oh, oh, did you see that? <laughs> really? Oh, that's great that they were into it. I was finding it really annoying, but I also was like warmed by it. So I was yeah, denied yeah. it. And then on my other side, at the end, the guy next to me said to his companion, oh, oh my God, I loved it. Definitely. Oh my god, definitely the best film at least of the last five years. I was thinking, what was what was the film five years ago that you have in mind for that? And so everyone around me was like in rapture about this movie. And oh. I found it really interesting and I thought about it for days after and it stayed with me. And that's all the things you want from a film. But I mm -hmm. couldn't be like, oh, amazing about it because so much I felt so confronted by it. Yeah, yeah. But I realized that's my own personal issues. It just made me feel a little bit crazy like I was like what what's wrong with me that I'm not feeling those things but then I I had a drink with a friend Megan shout out to Megan a few days later and and we actually were kind of she made me feel a bit better about it she helped me like unpick what it was that I didn't that I found so unsettling which I've just kind of articulated to you now so that's my thoughts on four things <laughs> God, we haven't gone to the groovies yet. Gee whiz. I we know. To... I actually, I didn't think I had much to say, but I realised I had, I have actually quite a lot of uh, thoughts on these uh, films, even if not on the awards season itself. Okay, well, welcome everyone to the 2024 Groovies Awards. That... So what have we got coming up first then, Lilia? First in our awards list. So first on the roster is the very illustrious award, Short King. Which, I mean, basically, it's a, it's a film that doesn't last too long, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, anyone who listens to this podcast would know that I, in particular, really value a film that you can... Oh, same. Yes. Get me in and out of that movie theatre in 90 minutes, and I'm happy, right? As Once you start going over that, and so many movies do, it's like, you better be worthy of being over 90 minutes. You better be putting the effort in to keep me engaged. Well, I, I think nowadays... A film that's an hour um, an hour and 45 is kind of the best you can hope for. It's so rare to get one that's an hour and a half. And, well, I have a couple of nominations because the first the first one that really came to, to mind was Past Lives, the aforementioned yeah. Past Lives. An hour and 46 minutes. That is, these days, 
you can't really hope for shorter than that. And and that was that was perfect for this film, right? Absolutely. The 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 kind of the story it was telling and the way it was telling it, which was very very atmospheric, very poetic. You can't. You, you can't, you've got to be careful making that too long. So yeah, perfect length. But then I came to. For me, what is the perfect film for this category? So I'm I'm <laughs> pitching it to you, James. I think this should be the winner. <laughs> this oh, year yeah. Is Rye Lane. Have you seen Rye Lane? I haven't seen Rye Lane, no. You have got to see Rye Lane. So okay. it's a cool hour and 22 minutes. Nice. Utter, utter perfection right off the gate. And it's like the most perfect rom-com since I would say when Harry met Sally, bloody hell, that's a no faint praise from Lily Austin there. Wow, I know. Okay, okay. Tr- confession. I so I didn't see it in the cinema when it came out, passed me by slightly. And then when I was <laughs> doing my research for this awards, I was looking at, at films that came out this year and 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 running times and saw that this one was now in 20 minutes. And I'd heard nothing but good things about it, like I knew that it was. A kind of a, I think it was a BBC production set, of course, Rylane suggests, like set in South London. Rylane is a market um, in Brixton. I heard that it was very funny. So I was like, okay, well, let's see. And it, literally, I watched it last night and I was in complete rapture. It's like such a great movie. It's so funny. It has this like really interesting style. Like it's a little bit like a reference that the director, Rain Allen Miller, mentioned was peep show the close-ups and the kind of the stylized of that but without breaking the fourth wall but she just has this very interesting like visual language she was like an Mm. I think she started off as an illustrator or an artist so you that really comes through but it's just very funny and a perfect story of of a a meet cute and then the, the day that follows it's honestly so so good and oh wow and an hour and 22 minutes that's the the absolute length it should be. We stay with these characters the perfect amount of time and it still feels like a full story. It doesn't feel like it's too short, you know. That's a total curveball to me because I, I, again, I was struggling to find one that was short that I had seen. So it was Past Lives was for me as well was my recommendation. So oh, Riley. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, okay, well then that's tricky because you need to see Riley Lane before we can make a decision, really. <laughs> or um, can okay. I overrule you? <laughs> yeah, you can overrule me. Like, you, 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 no, because you've seen past lives, so I, I will. I will defer to you between the two, which you think it should go to. Well, also, as much as past lives, favorite film of the year, it's had a lot of recognition. It's so hard with the short, short king award. It's. I think it's the toughest category because there are so few potential nominees. I know, <laughs> and they have to be would... good movies. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to the art form of like a really tight 90 minutes it's, it, because it is its own art form because as soon as you start expanding duration, it means you don't have to tighten things up as much. Bring back a, a 90 minute and done. I, I'm sure audiences won't feel short change as long as it's a good film. I think it's the streaming services influence. I think the fact that streamers feel like we can offer people unlimited time. You don't need to think about how long, how, how long it's going to, last yeah. in the cinema and all this stuff it they're then that the knock-on effect of that because then they can say to directors do what you like don't worry no time constraint which is a is a draw yeah it's, it's, it's this bin, bingeable uh idea that you can watch an entire series so when you go see a film and you're watching 90 minutes but it's 90 minutes of concentrated storytelling okay so moving on moving on <laughs> after that very brief 
initial award. Okay, so <laughs> our next award will be in the category of least unbearable cinematic experience. <laughs> which... Which I had to get my head around. That's like, wait, it's the, is it the least bad, the best, worst? So anyway, I'm seeing this as for me, it's the best cinematic experience. And for you, it's the least unbearable. You have to be dragged to a cinematic experience, whereas I run to it. I mean, obviously, all all movies are a cinematic experience, of course. But, but, the, but Jen really, uh, James really prioritizes the cinematic experience yeah, he privileges that, and I often don't. But I've been going on such a journey this last year since we started the podcast. So, which has all all been part of my Machiavellian plan. This was like Machiavellian plan number one was just to you know just to elevate your appreciation of going to the cinema. There's nothing I love more than going to the cinema. It's just a question of like this notion of the of of how great an IMAX is. And I'm just mm. like very skeptical notion. about notion, notion. <laughs> yeah, because I think that there are so many factors that make a, a cinematic experience I agree. pleasurable. I agree. And like I the agree. Bit, main thing for me is how much I hate the BFI IMAX. How horrible and how an ordeal it is to watch a film there. And and can, can, I, can I can I just give my repost here, which is for me, this is the greatest cinema screen in the United Kingdom, if not in Europe. It is the greatest single screen. This is actually what it all comes down to. It's just, there's this one screen that James absolutely <laughs> loves and I absolutely hate. This is the nadir of the issue. And <laughs> and from that, everything else ricochets out. So, <laughs> so this is an award that just acknowledges that. Um, so what are your what are your nominees? Oh, I mean, come on. If if you if you had to guess what my number one nominee would be, what is it, please? <laughs> Um, gravity. Oh, now ah, I didn't no, realize that, that this count. was. No, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Yes, I, I'm only counting ones that are kind of award season worthy or eligible. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, that was that was just me just remembering us going to because we went to the BFI together to see Gravity. Um, yeah. Okay, so Oppenheimer. Yeah, Oppenheimer is seventy millimeter IMAX at the BFI IMAX. Yeah. yeah, yeah, at the BFI IMAX. Just to be clear, in case you were thinking about any other IMAX, I meant specifically that one IMAX. And in case listeners have forgotten, James saw that, what was it, 8 in the morning? Yeah, for 8 a.m. screening. And you, and I, in contrast, saw it at like 11. Or was, was it, it later than that? It was, was it midnight it was nearly, or something it was, crazy? Actually, you're right. No, it was after midnight because the guy said good morning to everyone when they ah, made the ah. announcement at the beginning. So I had to sit in the most uncomfortable seats with the least amount of leg room with my like neck craning at this horribly large screen and i was horribly there until large. like and i think i think i was there till like 3 30 in the morning it was horrific it's torture sounds like torture i know that very much we've been you know locking locking horns but like had different <laughs> views on how much we rate imax right but what i want to know is the nitty-gritty of what is it you don't like about imax and if i can just proffer some observations and you can yay or nay if I'm worth them. I, I think you find actually that larger screen actually slightly an unpleasant sensation. Would that, like, as, as a sensory experience, it's just a bit too much, would you say? Is that? Yeah, I think so. I... And, and the... And that's fair enough. Like now, I'm realizing I'm basically forcing you to go to my favorite screen, but actually, it's a physically unpleasant sensation for you, which we don't want. That we don't want that. So it's it's a combination of factors. So mm. 
Listeners, full disclosure, I saw June 2 two nights ago and it was fucking amazing. I was like, should I swear? I'm going to swear. Um, and unfortunately, James couldn't join me because it was a press screening in London. We really and I was need- teaching in Manchester. Yeah, we, we really need to start some campaign to get press screenings in the North because it's not fair. But I loved that. We'll talk about it more next week when we do our June mm. 2 episode. But that was perfect for me because... Even though we weren't actually even sat in the middle, because God, you have to get there very, very early to get the best seats. We were kind of to the right, but it was, I had the best time watching it because it was, to me, a very big screen, but not so big that it was like hard work to watch. And mm. the seats were, were were comfortable and I had I had a sufficient leg room. I could jump a bit more, not like, but it was still, it was good. It was good. It was good. So I think it's just the combination of these things, which for me, the, yeah. the, it's like, when it's when it's so so big that I feel like I have to look from left to right in this like laboured way rather than seeing the full thing at once. That's a lot. And then on top of that, the really uncomfortable chairs, like that combination. Because you most of these the films I now see in IMAX are well over two hours long. You know, pushing three. <laughs> yeah. That's like a lot. You know. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And 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 now I started to understand the details of what it is you particularly don't like. Now it's like I can start tapering and tailoring the suggestion to kind of to get the ultimate sweet spot between the, the technical presentation but also your enjoyment of that. So like I say, I think it sounds like the slightly smaller IMAX screens, but also maybe it's Dolby Theatres in your future. You know, we wanna <laughs> we wanna dial that in that, that you wanna get you the best performance but the most enjoyable. Whereas for me, I'm like the bigger the better. I you know I don't mind scanning round a huge frame. I I actually enjoy it. But what I'm trying to say is like those just happen to be my preferences. And sure. now I'm like, oh no, they are literally your your idea of not a good time. So like the seats can't argue with that. They are so fucking bad in the BFI. <laughs> but for me, it's like I, I take the hit on that to get the big picture and the really great sound systems. I I can live with that balancing act. But I can't deny they're fucking murder those seats. <laughs> I mean, I had to sit on right next to the aisle for Oppenheimer just so I could. Stretch my legs, you know, because yeah. I could literally, because it was, yeah. Do you have other nominations or is that your one? Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, as far as cinematic experience, I was keeping it to stuff that that is award season. Otherwise, it would probably be Gravity or or Dune Part One that I saw a couple of weekends ago on re-release. You know, uh, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, Dune, Dune Part One was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing, to be mm. honest. Yes, yes, but yes, these are these are Doesn't historic count. wins. This is we'll have to come yeah. up with another category for kind of <laughs> <laughs> excellence stuff, in our stuff life that I just like that we like. Um, on that, well, actually, on that note, I also had a historic nomination that came to mind, which was seeing The Room in the Summer at the Prince Charles oh, Cinema. Oh, yeah. Um, just purely for, like, communal experience, that kind of element of cinematic experience. Yeah. Watching, watching a film with a room full of people kind of quoting along, shouting things out, throwing things at the screen. That is that is a very, very special kind of experience. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know actually if it really counts as cinematic in, in the truest sense, but I just had to acknowledge that because it was, I'll never forget that. It was so much fun. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. I've always said there's like almost two categories of cinematic experiences. They're kind of like, how good was the presentation? How big and how well done was it for the film it was? And then there's also just the communal experience. Like, was it in an interesting environment? Like Hebden Bridge, I'm suddenly appreciating, has a cinema that's still working now, that's been working continuously as a cinema since 1921, since mm. the silent era. So like... Going to see a film there is a special occasion, but it's not going to be the best quality sound of picture. It's just 
that other kind of more communal cinematic experience. Totally. Um, I also had Killers of the Flower Moon on my list, James, because it is a beautiful cinematic experience. I, of course, did not see it in IMAX or Dolby or whatever. I saw it at a a humble cousin, I think, but I'm not sure if it was for... DX. It oh yeah, I think we did. No, no, no. 4DX, 4K, one before 4K. DX. Oh that, my that's, god, that's the motion simulator with. I always mix these the things up. Yeah, sorry. For, <laughs> god. I think it was 4K. It was one of their bigger yeah. screens, so probably okay. it looked good. Mm. Looked good, but for me, the main thing was the realization that watching a film in a cinema that is not very busy is great, especially seats. Get seats at the back because I could get up. I went and Walk did around. stretches. I was yeah. doing stretches at the back while watching the film. And that just nice. changed everything. It just made me realize that, oh my God, maybe we need to do some kind of cinema yoga partnership <laughs> when Groovy Movies gets into partnerships, James, because just <laughs> okay, being yeah. able to still watch the film, but just have that break, move about a bit. I mean, I love yourself. going for a little wander. Fan. I do need a little stretch. Yeah, but you wander. leave the cinema. I don't want to leave the cinema. I want to keep <laughs> watching the movie. I'm, I'm aware that this is like a privilege that not many people would be able to enjoy because it was just so, because there were literally like seven people in this in the cinema screening, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, know, you, go, you, go to, you go to a cinema during the daytime, during the week, and it's more likely going to be very empty. And yeah, I quite like having the cinema to myself. But, uh, oh my God, also, I love it. Not, not, a good, not an ind- good indication for the health of the cinema industry. Well, I was going to say, again, just reflecting the fact that this film is a, was a, is a streaming film first, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But my final nomination. So you, I'll let I'll let you decide on who the winner is. But for me, it's got to be Taylor Swift at the IMAX at the Light in Cambridge. That for me was just perfection. Perfection. Seeing seeing the film in in a very s- superior format, but. Very comfortable seats, not too big. A baby IMAX, as you like to say, James. That was like... A little cute, little cute IMAX. Oh, it's so cute. It's like kawaii. Kawaii, is it called? Like, it's like, that's my idea of cute. Yeah. Is a, is a kind of little IMAXes or Limaxes are the slightly more derogatory term. I love a Limax. You go to a Limax, it, you're still going to see a better image and have better sound than 95% of any cinema screen in the world right now. So even though I give it a dig, I still recommend it. Handy B, handy B. And what's great, just to finish up on why this was a great film, is again, in terms mm. of being able to get up and stretch and stuff, it was a, it was a f- packed cinema, but pretty packed. But, you know, it's, it's a Taylor Swift concert, so people expect you to get up and bop around. So if you need to stretch, no questions will be asked. Excellent, excellent. And that nice seating and you can get up and have a stretch. Yeah. So what do you reckon, James? <laughs> Who is oh, our winner I mean... for the least unbearable <laughs> slash best oh, cinematic experience? I, I think I'm going to give it to... Does Dune 2 count in this, by the way? No, because it came out... It... Damn it. Okay, okay. <laughs> it... I'll, I'll give you Taylor Swift because, you know, because I, th- I think... You haven't even we, seen we... Dune yet, Dune 2 yet. You can't give it an award in anticipation. Oh, the I know it's going to be. I'm going to know it's going to be fucking scandal, amazing in IMAX. The controversy. <laughs> <laughs> the voting body will be up and arms. We'll get cancelled, just like the Golden Globes. I think if you had a great time at that IMAX watching Dune 2, I'm willing to give it to that in advance of seeing it myself. We need to talk about it next week, but it was a fucking spiritual experience. It was amazing. My choice would definitely stick with Oppenheimer, but I'm going to take. I'm going to take into consideration your knees and need to stretch and go with. Uh, yeah, I can back. Um, I had a great time watching Taylor Swift in IMAX, so yeah, let's go with that. 
Oh my God, you're so sweet. I don't think Taylor needs any more awards though. I think we should, we both voted for Neither is Oppenheimer. It's got to be Killers of the Flower Moon because we both nominated it. Fair enough, yeah. And it it was a a film that I recommended uh, my film school students to go check out at the IMAX and they had a great time with it because they'd never quite seen films being presented that well in in their lives because 20 years of crap digital cinemas. So yeah, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. Excellent. Okay, so we now move on to... A very interesting new it's a new award, new category for this year. That is the Saltburn Award for Most Creative Gross Out Moment. Which is hard because Saltburn wins the award of the Saltburn Award, I would say. That that's number one. Oh well I I mean look, my thinking was Saltburn got a lot of attention this year. You know, mixed feelings about this film, but it, it definitely won the kind of, you know, buzz TikTok award um, for most conversation reflect and reflect on how people listen to our episode also quite frankly and so I wanted to just like off the back of that look to other movies that are also similarly creative in their in their ways of shocking and scandalizing and disgusting an audience but the truth of the matter is no other film really this year can beat it I did no and my research was extensive unfortunately it's slim pickings I would say that Saltburn gets the award. The Saltburn yeah. Award we award to Saltburn. Saltburn. But hope, hopefully, as as the groovies come back each year and the award matures, we'll we'll have many more candidates. But I think there's yeah. definitely going to be a knock-on effect. I think I think the criticism that Saltburn got about it being made for TikTok is actually re- what what really what that is is a hint at what is to come with movies. I think movies aimed towards a younger audience are going to oh, yeah. have that in mind, and I'm interested to see what that will mean for films. When I go to my 4DX screenings, which I don't go to them as many as my hyperfixation a year and a half, two years ago now, but anyway, when I still go, <laughs> there will often be an advert for take your phones out and do a TikTok, and uh, you know you're allowed to take your phones out, and we'll and then they vibrate really? the seats and flash everything. Oh yeah, because obviously it's like the most TikTokable thing ever is going to the cinema and it's like a theme park ride and crazy shit happens. So yeah, That's they're trying to you know they're trying everything. All right, okay, so moving swiftly on, I like that that one was efficient. <laughs> Oof. To James' very special award, Nolan <laughs> Highlight of the Year. Now, I have to say, I could definitely have made a 45-minute out of this, but for the purposes of keeping things brief, I just need to check, is this like the Nolan Highlight, that my personal highlight regarding something to do with Christopher Nolan, or do you think it's his professional highlight as I see it? Because um... I've got answers for both. I had in mind like it could have been an amazing moment in one of the in Oppenheimer, or it could be something that happened. It could be anything you want, honey. Okay, James, it's your award. <laughs> make what um, make of it what you will. I'm inter- I'm interested in both. So I would say grossing just shy of a billion dollars on a film that you made on one hundred million dollars. Mm, you're gonna love that shit because. I'm sure he wasn't <laughs> expecting to make those numbers. I reckon he was hoping for like Dunkirk numbers of about 500 million. So I think anything above 500 million, he was laughing. And especially, I think he gets like 20% of the box office or something. He gets a very good deal. So I think for him, I think he'll be very happy with that. And yeah. for me personally, it was seeing Tenet in 70 millimeter, something I never thought I'd do because it came out during the pandemic and it was difficult to get to a cinema to see it in 70 millimeter, but finally got to see it last year. So that was, that was a personal highlight. Yay. Yay. Okay, great. Highlights all around for both you and your love, <laughs> Christopher <laughs> Nolan. 
<laughs> for me, it was just like Killian Murphy finally getting the recognition he deserves. You go from Christopher Nolan basically being his go-to support artiste to get not not a featured robe to suddenly you are in every single scene of a film where you are the main character and you are carrying the entire Christopher Nolan production on his shoulders. That's hardcore. Totally. I, I do hope he gets Best Actor for Oppenheimer. I, I think he deserves yeah, I think it. I think he, he did a I great job. I, I reckon Killian Murphy will get it, but yeah. But yeah, it certainly deserves it. Absolutely. All right. So moving on, we next have the Ha Award for most unexpected <laughs> performance. <laughs> so James, what are your nominations? It was a little bit tough for me, just from all the films I've seen. Uh, you know, I think we're kind of saying that this Oscar Awards, everything just seems a little bit like inevitable. And mm-hmm. so I, I was struggling to think. The, the closer come thing was like perhaps Emma Stone in Poor Things, but it mm. wasn't a curveball. I was expecting that kind of performance. So I, the, I did, you know, as, <laughs> as in, you know, I, I wasn't going. Oh, what, what is this performance she's giving? The trailers and the setup, had, you know, led me to believe. But it was certainly a huh, worthy performance. But I'm not quite sure it's the spirit of this category, Lily. That's the thing. Okay, so it's interesting you say that because I actually wanted to do this award because I had one actor in mind oh and it was uh, from the from the exact same film i'm talking about mark ruffalo and poor things Ah. that for me was a very pleasant surprise okay so i've talked at length about my mixed feelings about poor things on the whole positive i would say but mark ruffalo had no idea he could be so funny had no idea he could be british Ah, Both things were a real curveball for me. I mean, I've seen him in a lot of things and he's usually, you know, he's usually some kind of good guy, kind of worst. I'm thinking about The Kids Are All Right, if you've seen that movie. He plays kind of a bit of a deadbeat guy who's a bit lost and like a bit selfish. But this, this kind of Machiavellian sex pest was like a whole other world for me. I was very impressed. Oh, interesting. Maybe it's because, well, you haven't seen many Marvel films because, you know, he's got, he, he displays, a, I mean, he's not dark or anything in like that, but he displays a very good comedic touch. There's a very good interview with him on Fresh Air, the podcast Fresh Air, and he himself initially turned down the role because he said to Yorgos Anthos, oh, no, I don't think I can do this kind of character. This is a whole other, this kind of cad thing is not really my beat I can't do that I can't do that kind of funny he actually said and and yoga was just like of course you can and that was the right. end of the conversation <laughs> great so I feel like we were both equally surprised but I love that you saw the potential in Mark even if he couldn't I like the slightly darker twist but uh but yeah I, I've been aware of his like he can handle comedy he can turn his hand to it and I suspect that's what Yorgos Lanthimos wanted him for the part is that he'd just bring a bit of that People going into it who might normally see Marvel movies and not see a Yorgos movie might be interested because he's Mark Ruffalo's in it and they kind of know him as a certain type of actor from the Marvel film. So maybe you just want a bit of that energy in his film. That's so funny because I've not seen any Marvel films or, and not certainly not Mark Ruffalo in that. So I think of him very differently because I've seen him yeah. in the spotlight and that's kind of the world where I think of him as being in these days. So that's interesting. Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind is more independent, more indie feeling fair. Whereas, you know, to be honest, to to the mainstream audience, he, he plays the Hulk in the Marvel films. Great for an actor to have two fan bases in very different worlds, you know? Kind of the dream, I guess, in some sense. Yeah. Okay, well, moving on to our final and most illustrious award. That is Best Cinema. 
<laughs> a subject close to my heart. It's definitely been a tough year for cinema as well as the film industry in general, the strikes. So here is our ode to the cinemas we love. James, what are, who, what are your nominees? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to just think slightly out of the box because, I mean, I always prioritise cinema, like presentation. That That's my number one priority, which unfortunately does often mean that those wouldn't mm. be at more independent cinemas. So yeah, sure. I love... I, I love my Viewprint Works IMAX, although the BFI IMAX is a better. I think a sweet spot, maybe, especially if I'm taking into account the fact that IMAX doesn't really, on the largest ones, doesn't really do work for you. The Dolby Theatres, I think, are very good cinema. There's only, I think, four or five of them in the UK. Got a couple in London, one in Liverpool, one in Manchester. I do think they are the sweet spot. They are like the Rolls Royce of modern <laughs> cinematic experience. You get the really good presentation of sound and picture. But you also get super comfy recliners. I mean, that sounds amazing. I do think I'm going to go see June at Adobe as soon as as soon as soon I can, just to compare and contrast with my IMAX experience. So what about you? I'm fascinated. I'd be intrigued to know your thoughts. Okay, so first on my list, I, ha- <laughs> I took out a Curzon cult membership this year, £25 a month, so quite steep. But you do get seven cinema tickets or use of Curzon Home each month. We're not sponsored by Curzon, though we should be. <laughs> um, and so that was a bit, <laughs> that sort of became a bit of a pressure point for me. I was like, every week, oh my God, what am I going to see? Got to make the use of this, this membership. So I went to a lot of Curzons over this year. And I've got to say the flagship Curzon in Mayfair is an amazing, beautiful cinema. It dates back to 1934, James. Wow. Art, art Deco, and there's a really nice bar at the front, which again is this very Art Deco vibe with low lighting. Great for a date. Great date cinema. Okay. So I definitely recommend that. Beautiful. Got this amazing Art Deco inspired ceiling and these like reliefs on the wall by a renowned oh, wow. sculptor, William Mitchell. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I did my research because also I found something quite alarming but kind of interesting. I got into a bit of a wormhole, like wormhole. <laughs> this is the influence of June. <laughs> I went to Wormhole looking into this because there's actually a battle right now going on between the landlord of the building oh, and ma- and the cousin itself because the landlord wants the the restaurant next door and the cinema to be merged somehow. It said something about it that the cousin said it was going to be like a glorified members club. So that's rather alarming because basically that could mean the the end of this amazing cinema. But mm. it does look positive. The the lease ends actually in March, so we'll find out this month. And then the other one that I have to mention, of course, I feel like it probably could be our winner every year, is the Prince Charles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got mine in there as well. But I have to say, I thought I thought you might bring it up, so I didn't mention it. But absolutely, Prince Charles. I feel like that, that cinema is, is our cinema, because I think you were <laughs> the one who introduced me to it. Oh, really? Yeah. And we've definitely <laughs> we've seen a few films there. And yeah, yeah. So I, it makes me think of you and us getting told off for talking <laughs> because <laughs> the Prince Charles is a very fun cinema. It's it, it's great for a sort of start your Friday night with your friends in Soho, honestly, because it's such a the the, the audience are really there for it and up for a good time. But and also, there's a great bar. There's great bar, and it's yeah, very and the, and it's such an amazing mix of films that they show. Like every every day, you've got 
old and new, like really eclectic, really interesting things being shown. And they care about showing film prints. So you can often most yeah. days catch at least one film, either in 35mm or 70mm. If you're intrigued as to what all this fuss about film prints is or seeing things on film, well, go to Prince Charles, you can check it out. Totally, totally. But yeah, but then also there are some quite serious cinema goers who, who go there and they will not want you to talk through the credits. <laughs> so just keep that in mind, guys. So Prince Charles then, are we saying Prince Charles? I feel like it could be the winner every single year because we love it so much, but... Because the thing is, Prince Charles for me, I don't find Prince Charles that comfortable. I find it, the air condition is it's usually a bit warm, the seating isn't the best position. So That's it, so true. You've got to love it for what it is though, which is it's trying to give people access to things that the main cinemas don't give you, which are film prints, which are unconventional films, films from the past, you know, so... I think for our inaugural award, I think Prince Charles has got to have it, to, to give it the recognition and support that I think it deserves. That's like the os- opposite of the Oscar strategy, which is like, wait 100 years and then finally recognise. But okay, let's just get it out of the way for this year. Yeah. We'll, next year, we'll we'll get more into the weeds about the whole thing. So Absolutely. this year, the Prince Charles cinema has it. All right, so that is it for for our second Groovies Awards ceremony. If you've got any ideas for any awards you'd like to see next year or any suggestions, then get in touch. We'd love to hear them. And if we think we can fit it in, we will do. If we don't keep rambling on forever and ever. <laughs> we'll, we'll try and get a little bit tighter. Please leave us a like or leave us a, a nice five-star review. It all helps to get the podcast out and about in the world. <laughs> yes, please. Love that. Nice five-star review. Nothing nothing too oh, ostentatious. Yeah. <laughs> don't go out of your way to leave us a bad review, right? <laughs> please, God, no. All right. So thank you guys for listening. It's nice to be back for Series 4. And we will see you next week for an episode on June 2. Woo! Follow us on Instagram at GroovyMoviesPod or email us GroovyMoviesPod at gmail.com. Groovy Movies was produced and edited by Lily Austin. Music and sound by James Brailsford. Our logo was designed by Abby Joe Sheldon. For references and more information about the films discussed, check out the show notes.